We're outside the travel agency, a cannabis store that's got everyone buzzing. I've been to dispensaries all over the United States, but I've never seen one this unique. So nice. Amazing vibe. Some of the best customer service I've had in a store. Blows my expectations out of the water. Come down to the travel agency and see for yourself. For use only by adults age 21 and older. Keep out of reach of children and pets. In case of accidental ingestion or overconsumption, contact the National Poison Control Center. Consume responsibly. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the dark shadows, in the white cold, fearlessly we search for knowledge new and old. We drink the strong spirits and read the ancient tomes. The order of the Abracast. We are the brave and the bold. high-walled city of uh, besieged Vienna. I am Dr. John Towers, and this is the Abercast. As we're looking at the end of a total collapse and uh, ruination of Western civilization on behalf of globalist, communist, statist, bootlickers politicians, bankers, the elite. We're taking a moment here on the Abercast to appreciate some of the finer things in Western civilization, the birth of, the defense of, and ultimately the death of Western civilization. So this is one of the defense of Western civilizations. This is a story that is near it's near and dear to my heart as much as uh, it can be you know for someone who's never been to vienna or never hung out with any poles (laughs) um this story took me uh so hard 
that I actually wrote a little comic book about it called Vienna 1683. It's about the siege of Vienna by the by the Ottoman Empire and uh, the the people defending it and um, the actual uh, historical stuff um, and how uh, they they won the uh, the Polish emperor and the holy Roland, roman empire banded together and did a the well we'll get to it. i don't want to get a hold of my i don't want to get ahead of myself okay so there have been a, there has been at least one episode done about this before um so i'm coming at it uh from a different from a different way where i'm not using the same sources etc we're gonna focus on a little bit of a different aspect of it um but it is a it is a gr- it is a great story. It's one of those ones where it's like, you know, we are not doing. I don't have any plans on doing, um, you know, a defense of the Western civilization uh, from from like the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, I honestly can't find anything else I can add to <laughs> happen at the the hot the hot gates. Um. However, we are going to talk about the Battle of Vienna or the Siege of Vienna, 1683. Um, This is from the Blood of History. The Battle of Vienna is one of the most... So, well, I'll read, we'll read and then I'll try to, I'll editorialize a little bit. The Battle of Vienna is one of the most significant battles in European history. It took place in September 1683 between the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, the Holy Roman Empire, the Habsburg, uh, Hungary, uh, Habsburgs in Hungary against the Ottoman Empire. And this battle is largely marked as the end of the Ottoman invasions into Europe. So, uh, the Ottoman empire had their eye set on Vienna many times. They called it the golden apple of Europe. They felt like if they could take Vienna, that the rest of, uh, Europe would, um, fall. They, uh, you know, we look at like something like the battle of tours, which took place before this with, um, uh, the Charles, the hammer and all, all those other kind of stuff. So this is them, um, uh, doing it for real. Like this is them like, here we go, bitches. The Ottoman empire wanted to take the city city for Vienna for its control over the black sea to Western Europe, Southern Europe and the Eastern Mediterranean to Germany's trade routes. The Ottomans repaired and established roads and bridges leading to the Holy Roman empire, as well as moving cannons and ammunitions into the Balkans. So, they actually had to build roads. They had to beef up uh, logistics in order to in for in order for the infrastructure to support the massive army that they were about to to move in. So, I mean, just think about that for think about that for a second. The Roman Empire made an alliance with the pole with the Polish in 1683 called the Treaty of Warsaw. In this treaty, it promised that the Holy Roman Empire would support Poland if the Ottomans attacked Krakow, and in return, the Polish would come uh, if Vienna was attacked. 
on the 14th of July, 1683, the Ottoman Empire uh, army of 150,000 men laid siege to Vienna. Kara Mustafa Pasha, who led the Ottoman force, ordered his men to dig trenches towards the city to help protect his troops from the defenders' cannons as they advanced. In order to take the city, the Ottomans mined tunnels underneath the city walls to blow them using large amounts of black powder. However, the defenders knocked down large trees to help bolster the old palisade, delaying the Ottoman attack. This greatly helped in creating enough time for a relief force to arrive in September. So they're they're dig they're in they're engineering they're combat engineering they're uh, digging trenches they're trying to compromise the, the walls of the city and um, what it doesn't mention here at least as of yet is the v, uh, the folks that are defending Vienna were counter tunneling uh, so the this is I. Th- like it makes me think of Dig Dug a little bit. I don't know if anybody remembers what Dig Dug is anymore. Um, so these guys are out there. They're digging trenches. They're trying to compromise the walls of the, the city, and uh, the, we're doing counter trenching. Um, we're u- using these uh, lo- lumber to uh, to bolster the walls and the, and the defenses. And on September sixth, the Polish. The Polish, under King Jan Sobieski III, crossed the Danube uh, northwest of Vienna at Tulin uh, to join the imperial troops of the Holy Roman Empire, along with soldiers from Saxony, Bavaria, Badan, Franconia, Schwabia, uh, giving the Polish king 70,000 men under his command. So... Here we go. This is the this is the tale of the tape, right? The Ottomans had an army of 150,000 men and Jan Sobieski had 70,000 men. We ha- I don't know if they have a count of how many people were actually in the city, but the city was mounting a defense. They had a guy named um Ernst Rudiger von Stronberg, if memory serves me correctly. Maybe we'll talk we'll talk more about the count here in a moment um but just to paint the picture a little bit he's sort of he always reminds me of sort of like lando calrissian like he's a bit of a if you find there's like pictures and woodcuts of him and he's sort of like a dandy but he's like this guy's a fucking he's a badass so um so we got seventy thousand men under the command of jan sobieski the third 150,000 under the the Ottoman Empire. The relief army was racing against time to save the city and created an an effective leadership structured around the Polish king and the winged hussars. So we're going to get into the winged hussars. But um, before... uh, Before... Here. um, On September 12th, the Ottoman force attacked trying to disrupt the holy league's troops and the german forces were the first to counterattack. the imperial army attacked on the left in the center after heavy fighting managed to take several key positions from the ottomans by noon all right so let's back up and talk about ernst rudiger von stromberg this is the guy that kind of kept everything together until sobieski showed up um and remember he's like a dandy he's got like a little uh, pencil mustache and like a uh, sort of like, um, uh, I don't know, like long, 
like hair and he's like dainty. He's got like this silk sort of looking tie on, but on, but on, but over, he's got like this f- pretty cool plate armor on. Anyhow, in 1683, he was a military commander of the city of Vienna uh, with fewer than 20,000 men. So 70,000 defending with Sobieski and 20,000 men um, to oppose. So 20,000 men defending the city. So they're outnumbered with both with both sorts of forces, exterior and interior. On July 15th, 68, Stromberg refused an offer by the Turkish commander Kara Mustafa Pasha to capitulate, counting on the speedy arrival of the imperial army sent by Habsburg Emperor Leopold I, who had fled his residence in the strength of the city walls, which had been fortified after the first Ottoman siege of Vienna in 1529. Like I mentioned, they tried this uh, uh, a couple, they tried this multiple times. When, after two months, the relief of the army under the command of Polish King Jan Sobieski arrived in the first half of September, Vienna was on the brink of collapse. The walls were breached by Turkish sappers who had tunneled under the walls, packed the tunnels with gunpowder, and detonated the explosive charges. Finally, on 12 December, or sorry, 12 September, 80 uh, Polish, Vietnamese, uh, Venetian, Bavarian and Saxon troops attacked the Turks and were able to defeat them in the battle on the Kallenberg. Kallenberg Mountain near Vienna. Um, so <clears throat> there's a there's a school of thought here talking about uh, September 11th, and uh, that's where we did this episode. We did this episode in the nine in the nine eleven episodes. So if you checked it. If you checked out the omnibus nine eleven that was just published back in September, like the first, you know, this story takes place in the first uh, one third of that ep- that episode. So here we go. Um, the Ottoman force largely focused on uh, taking Vienna. Still, however, their sappers prepared a large final detonation to breach the wall uh, with a total of ten mile. 10 mines set to explode the defenders were able to locate and disarm these mines while the ottoman force was occupied with release forces so on the right flank of the ottoman army the polish advanced and managed to take the village of gerstoff which would serve as a strong position for cavalry charge. The Ottomans were now in a desperate position caught between the Imperial and the Polish forces, who by 5 p.m. had now become very close to the central Turkish position. The Polish cavalry now arrived onto the battlefield with cheers from the infantry. Watch this shit. This was to be the final blow. The Polish king ordered the cavalry attack in four groups, three of these Polish and one from the Holy Roman Empire. 18,000 horsemen charged down the hills, creating the largest cavalry charge ever recorded in history, led by the legendary Polish winged hussars. The charge easily broke through the Ottoman lines who soon began to leave the battlefield. The cavalry headed for the Ottoman camps in Kara Mustafa's headquarters, and the remaining 
Viennese garrison charged out of their defenses to join the attack. Less than three hours after the cavalry charge, the Christian armies had been victorious and had saved Vienna. So let's talk about winged hussars for a moment. And then we're going to get into this thing uh, in, in a little bit more depth, a little bit more context we're going to add to it. Uh, this is from historyofyesterday.com, the winged hussars, the most badass cavalry in history. During the summer of 1683, the Ottoman Turks were besieging Vienna. They were a few days away from conquering the, cap the capital of Austria. But then the winged hussars arrived at the battlefield and they led the biggest cavalry charge in history. The winged hussars unleashed havoc upon the disciplined Ottoman Janissaries. Christian Europe was saved from the Muslim threat. The winged hussars are also called the angels of death. So I'm going to try my best to des describe these dudes. They're on these giant horses and they're armored. They got swords and spears and helmets where all you could basically see are their their eyes sticking out. So here we got a huge psychological problem, right? Because these Janissaries have like these little uh, funny hats and like tunics, you know. Um, but let's s s stop a minute and talk about sight. Let's talk about sight. Psycho warfare, psychological warfare on each of these hussars, each of these flying hussars, their armor has these wings attached to them. So ima like imagine them like galloping down this this hill down to the uh, the lines of the of these um, the Ottoman um, Empire. On these giant horses with these fucking crazy wi armored wings attached to them. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So I forgot to mention that I do have my vessel of the art. Within it is the sacred formula of mass distraction. The winged hussars were the deadliest cavalry in the history of humankind, at least until they invented helicopters. They won most of the battles they fought, even when outnumbered by the enemy. These, the sight of these winged hussars inflicted fear in the hearts of their opponents. Their nicknames were the Angels of Death because of the wooden frames on their backs. These frames held eagle, ostrich, and goose feathers, giving them the impression of angel wings. The heavy cavalry with wings charged at full speed was a shocking sight for the enemy. Also, the wings protected the riders back during battle from sabers and lassos. Additionally, the wings' rustling sound scared the enemy horses. The winged hussars were an elite unit, and it took years to master the hussar way of fighting. Being a winged hussar meant... The great social prestige, their morale was high and one of the reasons they won. Even the most arduous circumstances, the winged hussars were a unit where you fought because you wanted to. Not because a king conscripted you to. In the 17th century, nobody used cavalry as shock troops anymore. Infantry with firearms and spears about five meters long meant the age of knights was over. 
Yet the winged hussars thrived on the battlefield. How did they do it? The infantry had five meter uh, long pikes when the winged hussars used six meter long lances. Medieval knights had short lances since their lances were very heavy. The hussars solved the problem of short spears by using hollow lances. These lances were light and harder to break despite being hollow. The Hussar Lance was the key reason for their success on the battlefield. There are reports of Hussars impaling up to six Russians or Turks with a single charge. They carried also a sword, a saber, a set of pistols. Some winged Hussars even used battle axes and war hammers. They protected themselves with an armor made out of steel, which was light, weighing around 15 kilos. For riding, they used light Turkish saddles. The lightness of their attire uh, allowed the Hussar horses to gallop at full speed for a long time. The Hussars used a special breed of horse. They were crossed between a Polish and a Tartar horse. The horses were famous for their endurance, speed, and maneuverability. They could carry a rider with full equipment uh, over 100 uh, kilos. The Polish king forbade selling the Hussar horses upon penalty of death. The winged Hussars would charge in a loose formation and they would tighten their ranks seconds before impact with the enemy. Fast-moving cavalry was a difficult target for the musketeers. The firearm of the time were not precise. Additionally, the musketeer found it difficult to hit a rider in loose formation. The musketeers only had one excellent shot just before impact with the winged hussars. Encountering a speed wall of impaling lances must have been a horrific experience, I would say. The only wealthy nobles could afford the hussar equipment and horses. For example, the the hussar horse was worth more than an entire village. So let's talk about the brief history of the winged hussars. The Hussars originated in Serbia, a country in southeast Europe. The Ottoman Turks defeated the Serbs at the Battle of Kosovo in 1389, and the Serbian mercenaries offered their services to the Polish and Hungarian lords. This gave them the opportunity to continue killing the Ottomans. King Stephen Battery of Poland reformed the Wing Hussars in 1570s. In the 1570s, they became the heavy cavalry, equipped with standardized weapons and armor. Besides the famous battle in Vienna 1683, the Winged Hussars won most of the battles they fought. In 1610, the Battle of Kluszino, 5,000 winged hussars defeated the Russian army of 35,000 soldiers. In 1621, the Battle of Chochim, 45,000 Poles repelled an invasion of 170,000 Ottoman Turks. The Poles entrenched themselves and the Ottomans laid the siege. However, the winged hussars counterattacked and were devastating to the Ottoman army. On one occasion, 600 winged hussars charged against 10,000 Ottomans, and they broke their lines and drove the Ottoman Janissaries back to camp. 
1694, the Battery of Haudau, 400 winged hussars stood up against 40,000 Crimean Tartars and defeated them. The Poles nicknamed the battle the Polish Thermopylae. Cha-ching! The end of the Hussars' glory came a few years after their greatest victory at the Battle of Vienna. In 1702, the Battle of Klitschow, the Swedish army destroyed these winged Hussars. The Hussars' opponents began using so-called Frisian horses. These were spiked obstacles that stopped a cavalry charge. Also, firearms improved and caused more damage to horsemen. So, here we go. This is technological advance um, forcing uh, change on the battlefield. This is uh, <clears throat> uh, mobility, counter-mobility. The horses are mo- mobile. These um, obstacles are counter- counter-mobility. This is same thing as a minefield or um, uh, barbed wire uh, fences or concertina wire. Um, from then on, winged hussars took part only in ceremonies. They even got a new nickname, the Funeral Soldier. The Polish Parliament abolished them in 1776. Here's to you, the winged hussar. All right, so that was sort of our kind of overview. I wanted to sort of introduce um, the the character of Count Ernest Ernst Rudiger von Stromberg and the um, sort of the history and mythos of the winged hussars. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the politics and sort of add context uh, to, to what happened. This is warfarehistorynetwork.com. The uh, 1683 Battle of Vienna, what went wrong for the Ottoman Empire? During the 1683 Battle of Vienna, relief came out of the woods and down from the heights. For nearly two long months from uh, July 14 to early September 1683, Vienna endured the siege from the Ottoman Empire. The Turkish Sirskur, the Supreme Commander, the Grand Vizier Kara Black Mustafa, command, commanded or demanded surrender, but Count Ernst Rudiger von Stromberg commanded the Vienna's garrison, spat back, let him come, I'll fight to the last drop of blood, the Count said. The last drop of blood had almost been reached. The Turkish mines and bombardment opened huge gaps in the city walls. Sewage, rubble, and corpses littered the streets of the... And disease ran rampant after fending off 18 major Turkish assaults. Only a third of the original 11,500-strong garrison remained fit for combat. And their munitions were nearly exhausted. Stromberg knew that Vienna's defenses were at their end. The city's only hope was that uh, the timely arrival of the anxiously awaited Christian relief army. Without that army, the Turks would pour into the city and wantonly enslave and butcher its inhabitants. The 1683 Battle of Vienna was about to begin. So we should give props to this Count Ernst Rudiger von Stromberg. Like I said, uh, the guy had, he was a bit of a dandy, he appears, but he had some balls, man. And besides the fear of uh, 
not wanting his city to be burned and enslaved and his citizens murdered and it's and enslaved he probably there probably was um a little bit of knowledge regarding the fact that if vienna fell europe would be um uh next the uh ever since mohammed died the uh, Islam became expansionist. There was a, a vast expansionism aspect to um, to Islam, and if Vienna had fallen, uh, it would have opened up the uh, possibility for Europe to have gone. Mustafa's fierce <clears throat> ambition for the Ottoman Empire. At least Stromberg could take heart in knowing that conditions were a little better among the enemy. Among the Turks, disease was out of control, owing to the inadequate sanitary facilities. Casualties were horrendous, and the morale was sagging. Where still, there were rumors of an immense Christian army approaching from the Vienna woods. Nevertheless, Mustafa's confidence in victory remained undiminished. Mustafa had another reason to press on, and he feared the sultan's punishment in the event of failure. By laying siege to Vienna, Mustafa disobeyed Sultan Mahmed IV, who intended that Mustafa do little more than capture, capture imperial frontier fortresses. But such modest aims did not satisfy Mustafa the Black Outwardly handsome, dignified, and a devout Muslim, inwardly the Grand Vizier was an arrogant power monger with an unveiled hatred for Christians. His one redeeming quality was his personal bravery, but even that was tarnished by acts of extreme brutality. He once flayed captured Poles alive and sent their stuffed hides to the Sultan as trophies. Mustafa cared only for his own career and freely used deceit and blackmail to make up for his lack of any real talent. Determined to follow in the footsteps of the great Islamic conquerors of old, Mustafa had sent out to overcome the barrier that, uh, that once before in 1529 blocked the Western advance of the Ottoman Turks, Vienna, the capital of the Holy Roman Empire and the Imperial Dynasty of the House of Habsburg. Leopold I pleads for help. In contrast to the offense of offensive spirit of Mustafa, the Holy Roman Empire, Leopold I cowardly fled his own capital for the safety of Passau. A bookworm and music composer, the pious Leopold wasn't much of a warrior. But he wasn't going to abandon the capital to the Turks either, and fervorously petitioned the German and Polish nobility to come to Vienna's aid. Leopold's cries for help did not uh, remain unanswered. On September 7th, a mighty army had gathered in the Tulin Valley. There was John <coughs> Jan III, Sobieski, King of Poland and Duke of Lithuania, with 18,000 Poles, the Elector Max, Emmanuel of Bavaria with 11,000 men, Prince George, Frederick von Waldeck with 8,000 8, Germans from Franconia in Swabia, Prince George of Hanover, the future King George of, of England, George I, arrived with a bodyguard of 600 cavalry sent by his father, Duke Ernst August of Hanover, 
and there were 9,000 Saxons led by the elector of Saxony, uh, John George the John George the Third von Wetten. Together with Imperial General Lieutenant Duke Charles of Lorraine, 20,000 Austrians allied army numbers of over 66,600. Many princely volunteers accompanied them, including a young prince, Eugene of Savoy, recently defected from the service of Louis Eugene, uh, brought nothing but his sword and his steed. The prince, Voluntary, would uh, fight with the Austro-German cavalry. With so many provident nobles, quarrels over command were unavoidable, but were resolved through the selflessness of Duke Lorraine. Although cursed with pockmarked face and a limp leg, his proven combat history against the Turks and the French, his personal courage... Humility and charm gained everyone's affection and admiration. On Lorraine's recommendation, Supreme Commander was given to Sobieski of Poland. Sobieski, who he refused to serve under anyone, held the highest rank and had demonstrated his valor and skill by defeating the Turks and chose Siam in 1673. Albit passed his prime and so fat as to be unable to mount his horse without assistance, Sobieski nevertheless retained a sharp mind and decked out the luxurious garb and armor. He looked the part of a charismatic commander-in-chief. Lorraine's plan to squeeze the Turks. Sobieski would lead the Poles while Lorraine... um, nominally commanded the Austro-German forces. Beyond uh, this, each commander led his own men while adhering to Lorraine's tactical plan. The idea was to march the army from Tulin through the Vienna woods to the Kallenberg Heights uh, from the height a broad sweeping descent would squeeze the Turks against the city, the Danube arm and the Vienna river. The approach denied the Turks the natural defense of the aforementioned rivers, and because the Allies would emerge from out of the wilderness, they hoped to catch their enemies unprepared. Also, just to remind everybody, high ground. They had the high ground. It seems like they were just given the high ground. By the 10th, the main army reached the Weldig Valley on the northwest side of the Kallenberg Colonel Donet Hissler's vanguard of 600 dragoons had already reached the Kallenberg Heights three days prior to light fires and alert Vienna of its impending relief. During the morning of the 11th, Lorraine sent reinforcements to Hissler, who led his dragoon musketeers and a band of Italian volunteers against the Turkish outpost at the chapel of St. Leopold in the ruined Camuldizian Monastery, after routing the Turks from the Christian holy places, Hisler launched uh, signal flares into the night sky and the defenders on Vienna's battered walls. Hisler fired his flares uh, were like a sign from God that their prayers had finally been answered. At 11 o'clock, In the morning on the 11th, Austro-German contingent moved into position on the heights between Leopoldsburg and Harman's Scoggles. Lorraine and John George 
uh, with Imperials and the Saxons on the left and the Waldeck and Max Emanuel and the France, Franco, <laughs> Franconians, Bavarians and Imperials on their right, both contingents placed their cavalry on the outer flanks. The Poles, meanwhile, were still struggling to cross the Wieldensbach uh, from the honorable right wing of the Allied army between Roscoff and Detramarkstein. Later in the day, the princes and the generals met on the bridge uh, to behold the panorama of the siege. Below them, the Turkish siege works and camp uh, around the city, wedged beneath the Vienna River, the south and the Danube armed to the north. A dim haze of smoke rose from constant artillery barrage, exploding mines and campfires. More worrisome was the rugged terrain of the precipices, ravines, and the woodlands that led down from the hills to the plain below. Angered, Sobieski claimed that the map sent to him by the Imperial commanders had misled him. He expected the train to have been far more level and now proposed either a detour to the south or a slow, meticulous advance. The ideas were stoutly overruled by the other generals who decided to continue with Lorraine's original idea of a full-scale attack from the ridges of the Vienna woods. Although the terrain was rough, it was noted that Mustafa had done very little to fortify the, his besieging army. Nevertheless, the Polish king did manage to gain the transfer of four Habsburg infantry battalions to uh, the support Polish cavalry. That night, Lorraine ordered his general of artillery, Count James Leslie, to place a battery along the edges of the Kallenberg to provide supportive fire for the main advance. While the artillerymen labored, cries of Allah and assistant artillery bombardment of Vienna robbed many of the Christians of their deserved sleep. Moreover, the previous day's march had carried out in great speed in the face of difficult terrain. The stormy weather to lighten the load, many supplies were left behind, leaving the men with empty stomachs and forcing horses to feed on leaves. Despite these hardships, morale remained high. <clears throat> the Ottoman, the Ottomans await Christian attack. Below the Christians, over 70,000 Ottoman auxiliaries uh, deployed between the Danube and the Vienna River awaited the Christian attack. Surprise having been passed, Kara Mahed Pasha, Barabili of Diabilic, Daya Becker, with 10,000 troops, including the Bosnian Rumlians, uh, centered in uh, Neusburg, made up the right wing. Behind him on Prater Island were further 5,000 Moldavian and Wallachian reinforcements. The bulk of the Turkish center under Ibrahim Pasha, Bailerbei of Buda, and Kara Mustafa occupied the fortified ridges above <laughs> Dublin back at Krokenbach and Wallen House. Ibram and Mustafa's forces made up of a cavalry, um, a salmon, peasant, militia, and Janissary infantry. They were about 23,000 strong. Besides them, on the left, Abaz Sa Sari Hazulin Pasha Ber Baylor Bay of Damascus commanded the rest of the central line and his 15,000 most 
Motley Calvary units covered the Winehouse Autic Ring Baumgarten line with a smaller detachment deployed in the Schaffberg area to slow down and hamper the initial Christian advance. Here, the walls and buildings of numerous vineyards prepared, provided shelter for the defenders. Along the northern back of the Vienna River, the left wing near Maribond stood 18,000 Tartars. By Allah, the king is really among us, blurted their Khan. Uh, when he discovered that Sobieski himself led the relief army in a decision opposed by Ibrahim Pasha, but approved by the other senior generals, Kara Mustafa decreed that the remaining 50,000 Janissaries and provincial troops would continue the siege of Vienna. At 5 a.m. on the 12th, Kara Mahmed's Vanguard opened the battle by attempting to disrupt deployment of Leslie's artillery. From his viewpoint at the ruined monastery, Lorraine noticed that an advance of the whole Turkish right accompanied the attack on the battery. In response, Lorraine sent reinforcements to, Le to Leslie and ordered the advance of the Austro-German left wing. By sunrise... Of what came to be a sunny and clear day, Waldeck and Max Emanuel also received orders to begin their descent. After informing Sobieski of his actions and gaining his approval, Lorraine hurried off to lead the Austrian Saxon troops, pouring down uh, the defiles of the Kallenberg. The Polish king prepared himself for battle by attending a mass held at the chapel of St. Leopold. So the Turks... It seemed as if an all-consuming flood of black pitch was flowing down the hill, at whose head fluttered proudly a large red flag with a white cross. Lorraine's main concern was the maintenance of a unified front, the daunting task due to the uneven ground. Reinforced by Duke Eugene of Croy's infantry, the Austrian routed the Turkish uh, the Turks firing at Leslie's artillery, and together with John George's Saxons at the right established a line facing the New the Newsburg Kaffenwald, supporting uh, supported by light infantry and maintaining um, an unrelenting barrage of musketry fire. The Australians slowly but steadily advanced up the Neusberg. Here, there was stifling resistance by the Turks, who skillfully used the cover of the terrain to their advantage. An imperial regiment had uh, reached the outskirts of Neusdorf, was repulsed, while the Turks, still holding Kaflenbergdorf, threatened the, the Austrian left flank. Lorraine ordered Count Capra to storm the Kallenberg. Kallenbergerdorf from the shoulder of Leopoldsburg. With Heisler in the lead, the Dragoons encountered initially heavy resistance, but supported by Prince Jerome Lubum Erski Lubinerski heavy cavalry seized Kallenbergsdorf. And advanced beyond it, but Mahmed's men now reinforced by seamen rallied and threw the Christians back to the village on the outskirts. The Turks fell upon the wounded, beheading the dead and dying. By 10 a.m., the German left wing occupied the rim of Neusburg. Unfortunately, on their right wall deck, the Max Emanuel had failed to keep the 
with Lorraine's advance. Remember, he wanted a unified front coming down the mountain, like that old Jane's Addiction song. Do 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 coming down the mountain. Do 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 do. This exposed the right flank of the Saxons, who had veered left from Karfenwald to bolster the Austrian attack of the Turkish Neusburg positions. Lorraine called for the halt to allow Waldeck and the second and third Austro-Saxon battle lines to catch up with the, and reestablish a solid front. Joined by George, Lorraine hurried off to the front line to take personal charge of the German soldiers. Sobieski, meanwhile left the chapel to hasten the movement of the Poles, who still had not arrived in the position on the south wall deck. Recognizing the loss of Neusburg to be a serious threat to their right flank, the Grand Vizier and Ibrahim Pasha mounted various counterattacks, but were pushed back to the flatter terrain around Grinzig. A second assault proved more successful, so that Imperial infantry began to waver, but was saved by the arrival of the Dragoons in the elite armored Corsairs Heavy Cavalry. John George and his bodyguard cavalry took part in the action. Wounded in the cheek by an arrow, the Saxon elector cut down a Syrian lancer, pursuing their advantage. The Saxons advanced down Muckenthal, the direction of the Hilgenstadt, while Austrians moved towards Neusdorf. <clears throat> Supported by Leslie's artillery, now deployed on the Neusburg and Capra's advance from the Kallenbergdorf. Saxon and Imperial Dragoons under Margrave Ludwig Wilhelm of Baden and Heisler led an attack on Neusdorf, entrenched in the village cellars, ditches, and ruined walls. The Turks put up fierce resistance and were only overcome by the arrival of Wilhelm's uncle, Field Marshal Hermann of Baden, leading the, Aust the Austrian infantry to the south. Field Marshal von Goltz Saxon successfully drove the Turks from Hilgenstadt to Grinzig. At noon, Lorraine called for another halt to his troops to recuperate. The morning's actions had been a complete success. Uh, the whole Turkish right wing of Karim Ahmed was completely overrun or destroyed. The Austro-Saxons now faced Ibrahim Pasha across the Dublin Bach, Wald Bach, and Max Emanuel, who had encountered little opposition, reached Ibrahim's flank across the Croton Bach, while Capra and Lubomirsky scattered the Romanians along the, Dan the Danube. The Poles finally appeared at the heights after an exhausting march through the rough terrain of the Weldig Valley. In the center, Sobieski with artillery general Martin Kotsky uh, descended from Granberg on the left field, Feldhetman Nicholas Schweinsch. Swineski 
uh, came down from the dryer Markstein. And on the right, Crow Hopman Stanislaw Jablowski came down <laughs> from the Roskop. Polish infantry and the borrowed Habsburg battalion screened the defense or screened to the decent to allow the establishment of an unbroken cavalry front on the plains below. Thorns, bushes, grapevines, ditches, hedgerows, and individual Ganueli suicide charges slowed down the Polish advance. Nevertheless, in spite of a spirited defense by Abza Seri Huzian, the Poles, supported by the artillery fire, steadily pushed forward with Sobieski at the head. Mikkel Mikkelarburg was reached by 2 p.m. The Germans, who now came into view, gave off the terrific cheer upon spotting the arrival of Polish allies. Beyond Mikkelarburg and the slopes of Schaffenburg, the Poles were brought to a momentarily a momentary halt ahead of the Schwinarski 1000 Jan- Janissaries infiltrated the vineyards behind the Plotzendorf, distributing the junction between Schwinarski and Waldick's right wing. The Janissaries put up a stout defense but were dislodged with the arrival of Imperial Cursieries. Around four in the afternoon, Sobieski and Swinarski re- <laughs> reached the level terrain east of Schaftberg on the right. Jablonowski fended off a feeble attack by the Tartars near Maribon. Sobieski now called a halt in order to build a more organized and solid front. Kara Mustafa, aware of the new Polish threat of the Turkish left wing, used uh, the respite to withdraw troops from Ibrahim in order to bolster Hussein Pasha. The Poles' cavalry units get butchered. The attack opened with a terrific barrage of musketry fire from the Christian squares, demoralizing and thinning the Turkish defense. Around 5 p.m., the Franconians and Bavarians launched an assault on Turkish Turkenstans, uh, the location of the Holy Banner of Ibrahim Pasha's uh, entire front row collapsed, opening the way to Vienna. Instead of moving forward towards the city however Lorraine recognized the opportunity to strike at the right flank of Hussein Pasha who was currently getting ready to withstand Sobieski's all-out advance like Lorraine Sobieski had at first been content with the day's gains but was persuaded to continue the battle by aggressive spirit of Swinowski's and the Germans with the cry of Jesus Maria help the whole Polish line rode down upon the Turks encased in glittering steel that covered head to thighs with their tiger and leopard pelts fluttering in the wind and the eagle's wings affixed to their back. The leading units of the Hussars presented an almost unearthly spectacle armed to the teeth with a 19 foot Pennon tipped copia lance, a curved and straight saber, four pistols, and a battle hammer. Mounted on powerful, powerful armored steeds, the hussars were the epitome of the Polish cavalier. Following the hussars were 
Penarski and Kwarnarski, likewise made up of Polish aristocrats and cavalrymen. They wore helmets, mailed shirts, uh, shields, and wielded short lances, falchions, and uh, hanzar dagger, poleaxes, and musketoons, or bows. Uh, the Quinarchy-like cavalry of the poor Polish gentry and the foreigners wore little armor and brandished short lances, sabers, and occasional pistol. Leading the whole attack was Sobieski himself, his armor decked out in blue, luxurious, semi-oriental garb, his hand holding his bulwark marshal's baton on his side, a curved saber in hand, rode a 14-year-old Prince Jacob. Slowed by vineyards and uneven terrain, the heavy Polish cavalry did not pick up speed until it reached the open terrain of the Baumgarten Ottering Winehouse area where it ran in the Turkish skirmishers and artillery fire. The Turkish guns ripped through the Polish ranks and the charges of the cavaliers proved unstoppable like thunder. The shattering of the Polish lances resounded over the battlefield as the cavalry overwhelmed the Turkish battle line. Sobieski followed on the heels of the Hussars, capturing the Turkish guns while the Turks demoralized Lorraine's advance on the right flank rallied towards their left wing opposite Jablonowski. Lorraine's forces, meanwhile, established uh, contact with Stromberg, who sallied out of the Schottentour to join the battle. Ludwig Wilhelm of Baden and his dragoons were given the honor of relieving the city after marching up to the gate to the joyful tune of kettle drums and trumpets. The dragoons joined the defenders in clearing out the few remaining Turks around 10 p.m. after a further 600 Muslims were cut down and battle came to an end. In the Turkish camp, Christian infants and children cringed. Among hundreds of butchered captives, Stromberg's garrison took revenge by burning the 3,000 abandoned Ottomans sick and wounded alive. And all the Turks suffered 15,000 casualties compared to 1,500 for the Allies. Sobieski ordered the German forces around the Turkenstans and the jo- and Jablonowski's wing of the banks of the Vienna River to remain at guard throughout the night. A few Polish squadrons hunted down Ottoman stranglers beyond the Vienna River. However, Sobieski and Schweinowski's own contingents located as they were at the main Muslim camp could not control themselves. Order and discipline broke down as the Poles feverishly pillaged and picked of the Muslim spoils. Instead of chastising his troops, Sobieski acquired the lion's share for the loot uh, himself with the Grand Vizier's Pavilion. It was lavish courtside dining halls, baths, and gardens. The king found heaps of gold and bejeweled treasures. On the 13th, Sobieski conducted a Roman-style triumphal march into Vienna to the cheers of the populace who cried, Long live the king of Poland! Sobieski's egotism came as a bad affront to the Austro-Germans. The premature looting of the Poles was bad enough, but Sobieski's entry into Vienna before the emperor was an insulting breach of protocol. Lorraine particularly was disgusted by Sobieski's vanity, which on the 13th prevented an opportune 
pursuit of the demoralized enemy to allow Mustafa to carry thousands of Christian children into captivity. The magnitude of the defeat was not lost on Kara Mustafa, who sought to escape the Sultan's vengeance by blaming his defeat on subordinate commanders, executing those that might inform the Sultan of the Grand Vizier's mishandling of the Ottoman Empire. Mahmed IV remained unconvinced. During the battle, the Christian commanders and troops fought with the skill and courage while, tact- while tactically their attack through the vi- the... Vienna Woods uh, wisely avoided the natural defenses of the Danube and Vienna rivers. Nevertheless, the victory, their victory was not so much due to any Christian brilliance as it was to Mustafa's negligence and arrogance by failing to properly fortify his army from an outside attack by leaving many of his Janissary units in the trenches surrounding Vienna. The Grand Vizier sealed the fate of his army. Mustafa would pay for his failure on December 25th, 1683. While staying at a palace in Belgrade, the Sultan's emissaries executed the, um, the Grand Vizier by strangulation and sent his head to Constantinople. One of the stories you hear about this episode is that he was strangled with a a single thread of silk until until it cut through his head. Like, until that single string thing of silk is what decapitated, decapitated him. The Sultan's anger was not unfounded. A Turkish victory would not have meant the end of free Christendom because France would have presented the bulwark to further Ottoman expansion. However, Austria was saved, and more importantly, the initiative passed to the Holy Roman Empire. After hundreds of years of warfare, the Christians had turned the tide against the sword of Islam. Under Max Emanuel, Ludwig, Wilhelm, Turkin, Louis, and Baden, all of Uh, Above all, Lorraine and Prince Eugene of Savoy, the Holy Roman Empire, would slowly but surely roll back to the Ottoman hold in Eastern Europe. So another thing that's said about this episode, this whole battle, was that this is what eventually broke uh, the Ottoman Empire. They limped on for a couple, you know, hundred, a couple more hundred years or whatever. But uh, this was like the end this is the this was this marked the end here they had to roll back their expansion was officially stopped <clears throat> so i don't talk a whole lot about it um but with what's going on in the world right now um i've restarted my archiving process of these episodes uh it's clear to me that i could just wake up one day and have spreaker turn my shit off because of the weird you know conspiracy theory whatever um uh not politically correct stuff that we talk about often um so i'm restarting my archiving process uh i'm all the way everything that's alive is from like april 2018 on uh, but that's going to be dwindling, and my archive gets transferred to Subscribestar, which is a free speech side 
based in Europe somewhere. They promise never to remove episodes um, or content, whatever. So if you go to Abercast.com, support the show, or if you go to the feature topic link and you'll see, you'll see uh, in each top, in each topic, pretty much each, eventually it'll be each topic. There'll be like bolded red lines that go to a, a different link and that will take you to subscribe star to support the um, least amount is like one dollar you get access to everything um so if you are trying to track down an old episode and it's, and it's not there it's because i'm trying to protect uh the years of content that i've created um i don't want them just to ever disappear and i you know who would who would want hundreds and hundreds of you know of these episodes just to just go away if you want access to them as they're going um uh, please just hit the show like i said it's one dollar you get everything that's archived um yeah so that's it uh that's kind of just where i am in the world right now I i believe that's where we are in the world right now you know, um, the New York Times uh, has said, like, hey, we need to get a hold of, we need to get control of these fucking podcasters. And that shit is scary. And I'm not saying that anyone's gunning for Dr. John Towers and his little podcast, the Abercast, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, bro. And uh, I, it's time consuming to, um, to archive these shows for various different reasons. It's just a, a pain in the fucking ass. Um, but it is stuff that that I'm working on. So if I point you to a, a show in the feature topic link and it's bolded in, it's bolded and it's called the red archive. If it's a red archive episode, it just means it's, it's come up against its calendar date and we moved it over to the, to the archive. So we'll be working on that, um, here, uh, through, you know, as long as we, as long as we can try to get it current before the shit goes down um yeah and that's it i'll let hill tell you the rest of it thank you guys for joining this bon- bonus episode uh i'm sorry i massacred some of these pronunciations and stuff it's just uh, uh it's hard to do especially when you got a head start into the jinn jihad i'm dr john towers i'll catch you on the flip side Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed the show. Please send an email or find us on social media and let us know what you think about the show. We would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rate and review wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VGW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus with the Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can find Stigmata Studios, graphic, novels, and comic books. Take control of your destiny. Understand your past. Put your present in context and know your future with a twist. Check out the Abracast Tarot Card Deck. Your body is your temple, so let's make sure you got a badass t-shirt on it. Variety of cool occult themed t-shirts and other merch like stickers, wall art, mugs and more. Welcome to the Red Archive. Get access to over 50 hours of archived episodes. More bonus audio. Additional exclusive content. All this for only $1 a month. Are you interested in the occult, history, conspiracy, and violence? Learn more at abracast.com.